This is the Music Therapy Chronicles podcast interview with Isabel Engler. I never knew about music therapy until about four years ago. And I had been, you know, playing piano since I was four years old. So this was sort of like a big big turning point in my life, I would say. So, you know, I grew up learning the piano, went to music school, and studied music in college. And all this time I thought, you know, like I love music. Music is special for me. I was going down this performance route and just never heard of music therapy um, until I had my first child in 2017. I, I decided to leave my job actually to invest the time with my first child. And this is the time I saw on social media of a friend who is a wonderful violin player. And we had played together in college, you know, in chamber music and just violin studio. And she was studying to become a music therapist. So at the time, I was like, oh, what is music therapy? Tell me more about it. You're listening to the Music Therapy Chronicles, a podcast about music therapy from a variety of perspectives. Our ambition is to inspire and connect listeners through meaningful conversations, just like a music therapy conference you can listen to anywhere. My name is Trisha Kayati, and I am a board-certified music therapist from the New England region. If you like what you hear, join our group on Facebook and share your own insights and thoughts about the episodes. You can also connect with us on social media and online at Music Therapy Chronicles. Welcome back to the Music Therapy Chronicles. I hope that you're having a fabulous day and are excited for this conversation with Isabel. She is a current music therapy equivalency student who previously worked in the corporate world as a product project manager, sorry, project manager. Um, and so in this conversation, we talk about the similarities she has seen between these two worlds and how she is using her knowledge of her past career to inform her education and her future music therapy practice. So this is a super unique conversation. Um, and we touch on the fact that very often we are music therapists talking to other music therapists about music therapy. And so it's cool to have these conversations where we're able to broaden our minds a little bit, see a different perspective, all that good stuff. So I hope you're excited for this conversation and enjoy it and, and learn something from it. If you're enjoying the show, please consider leaving us a review and a rating on whatever platform you're currently listening on. Those really help the show be more visible. And if you're not already subscribed, please subscribe so you don't miss any of our future episodes. You can follow us on social media at Music Therapy Chronicles to see some behind the scene behind the scenes content uh, and all that good stuff and jump on our newsletter at musictherapychronicles.com so you get some sneak peeks of the show and you get to know about any future offerings coming up, discount codes, all that good stuff. And 
If you're looking to get CMTEs for listening to the show, you can check out our pod courses over on the Music Therapy Podcast Collective. That's mtpodcastcollective.com. All our pod courses are hosted there, as well as several other awesome pod courses by other music therapy-based podcasts. So definitely check those out. It's a great way to support the show and the other shows you know and love. All right, let's get into this episode with Isabel. All right, Isabel, welcome to the Music Therapy Chronicles. Thank you. It's my honor. I'm so glad you're here. You d- were just telling me that you're a listener of the show, so it's awesome to get to connect with a listener and also to hear uh, your story and your thoughts, and it's great to be with people who are kind of on both ends of it. Thank you. Yes, I, I am a listener, and I really enjoy your podcast. Thank you. I, I need to hear that sometimes, <laughs> to be honest. Yeah. Cool. So to, to start us off, can you tell the current listeners a little bit about yourself? Sure. Well, my name is Isabel, and I was a classically trained pianist. Right now, I am actually finishing up my certification process to become a board-certified music therapist. So I'm, I'm in my final practicum. I'm going into my internship in January and should target to finish by summer. Congratulations. That's a, a big step, and I know we're going we're gonna to get into that. So tell us you know, how you found music therapy. Take us on this journey. Sure. Yeah, like this is sort of a very personal story. So I never knew about music therapy until about four years ago. And I had been, you know, playing the piano since I was four years old. So this was sort of like a big big turning point in my life, I would say. So, you know, I grew up learning the piano, went to a music school and study music in college. And all this time I thought, you know, like I love music. Music is special for me. I was going down this performance route and just never heard of music therapy um, until I had my first child in 2017. And um, I, I decided to leave my job actually to invest the time with my first child. And this is the time I saw on social media of a friend who is a wonderful violin player. And we had played together in college, you know, in chamber music and just violin studio. And she was studying to become a music therapist. So at the time I was like, oh, what is music therapy? Tell me more about it. And I didn't really know much about it. And she told me a little bit and she said, hey, I'm doing this distance program and I'm trying to uh, finishing up and this is awesome. So I just kind of kept that in the back of my mind thinking, oh, this is really cool, but I just had a newborn. So you know, there's no way for me to go back to school at this time, but oh, that's really cool. Good for her. And fast forward two years later, I I had my child go to school, preschool, and I start I just started thinking back about this conversation with her again. And she told me, hey, I finished my board exam. I'm actually now clinician, like practicing clinician. And she was working in the mental health, um, you know, population. So I thought it was really awesome. And I just couldn't really like get it off of my mind. So I started lo- looking into literature about the profession of music therapy. So I started reading and then that led to reading Oliver Sacks' book. And I-, I think he was a huge advocate for music therapy in general. So 
this sort of just like was a turning point where I was like, wow, everything connected to, it connected everything I was interested in. And I never knew about this field, but this is really amazing being able to use music to help others. And just to backtrack a little bit, like when I was performing recitals and, and concerts, I always wanted to do more than performance. I wanted to be able to connect to the audience. I wanted to be able to use music to reach them. So I always felt like, ah, oh, I wish I could do something more. And so when I found out about music therapy, that was just like that ah moment, like, this is it. I found it. So yeah, that's how I discovered it. Yeah, I can totally relate, especially to that last part uh, about performing, but being like, no, there's something, there's something missing. There's something missing here, um, which not everyone feels that way, which is fine. But right. as a as a music therapist, I think a lot of us feel that way. Yes. Yeah. So you have created a lot of connections between the position you used to have and this position you're um, as on your journey of becoming a music therapist. You've kind of like tied the two, noticed similarities. And I think that's really interesting. So I'm going to just let you take the floor and walk us through that. Sure, sure. So I used to work in the technology industry. And so I was having this dual, I feel like dual life, you know, in the daytime, I would go into my, you know, the startup company I was working for as a product manager. And at night, that's when I would practice piano, I would, you know, try to schedule, you know, collaborations, you know, chamber music rehearsals. And on weekends, that's when like the actual like performance or recitals would happen. So just kind of like this dual eye juggling two things. And and this went back to how I was in college too. I double majored and studied too. I always wanted to keep up both. And so, yeah, so the, I guess the intersection between being the tech and now pursuing to be a music therapist was that like as a PM, product manager, I, I work with a lot of different functions, lots of different um, roles. So I would work with the engineering team and design team to, to build the product. And for me, my responsibility, responsibility was to design and define the requirements of the product. And then I will work with them on like their expertise on how to do it, right? So then once we build a product or a feature, we will work with marketing team to launch it. And a lot of what I did was also to train the sales team. So they have the knowledge and resources they need to, to know about the product and also know how to advocate for the product to the external world. So the customers or the prospects. So the whole cycle of building to launching it and also maintaining and gathering the information from partners for customers was also very important to loop back to how do we improve the product? How do we, maybe we design a new roadmap for a new product and solution um, for the market needs. So that was what I did as a product manager. Um, I think a lot of it was collaboration in bringing different expertise and roles together. So yeah, so when I'm in music therapy now, um, I'm in the field now, and just through my practicum experiences, um, I see that in some sites, then we come across different um, disciplines as well too, right? So there's PT, there's OT, there's um, SLPs, and also sometimes we work with music educators too. And so I think there's many more that, I mean, I have named, but I find that the collaborations is also something I'm really interested in because I've read some journals that that indicate that, you know, research has shown that when multi-disciplines collaborate together, the treatment is actually more effective for the client. Mm -hmm. So for example, like when a physical therapist works with a music therapist, 
like the client is able to achieve their goal quicker. So, you know, that kind of, you know, stuck in my head and I, you know, in my practice now and future practice, I would love to sort of like have check-in points with other disciplines or just have some sort of process in place so that I can collaborate and just align on the goals and progresses of a patient or client. Yeah. Yeah. I also, um, that resonates with me. I am fortunate to serve on uh, several IEP teams Mm -hmm. at schools, uh, but it can be really hard to co-treat in a way that's like you're there at the same time. And it can also be really hard to just make the time to meet with each other to, you know, kind of co-treat on the back end type deal. But you're right. Like there, it is so much more effective when we're able to work together at the same time with the same framework on the same goals. Uh, And so many of us music therapists, unfortunately don't have that opportunity. We just it's don't. really hard. Yeah, yeah, it is really hard. <laughs> yeah, I, I, sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. Yeah, I, I just completely agree. Like, you know, what I had said I would love versus reality is that mm. I, I think it is really challenging because in my previous practicum site, it's a private practice. Lots of referrals come from pediatricians um, or teachers. And we know, okay, they might have physical therapy or they might have speech therapy outside of music therapy, but, you know, we get one email address and that's maybe sometimes not too much information through the charts where you have to call and email them. And sometimes they're busy, they're in a different site. So it's, it's tough to align. It is, but it is nonetheless important. Yes. The other part that I, that stuck out to me in what you said was when you're a PM you know the product and then you have to explain to the sales team how to, and you use the word advocate yes. and not the word market, uh, which both like I think are fine in this instance, but that's also totally what we do, right? And sometimes it's like, how how do I advocate? And that's part of why at the end of all the shows, I ask people their elevator speech yes. because I think it it's important for us to see different ways to advocate for what we're doing. Yes, absolutely. So yeah, I yeah, I, that's totally true because I remember as a PM, sometimes sales team would be like, well, you know, it's not a perfect product. You know, that's missing X, Y, Z. When can we get it before I feel confident to sell this or to go talk to a prospect about this? And, you know, it was my job to really say, hey, instead of looking at what's missing, look at what we do have today mm. um, as a startup. And, you know, we cannot have everything in one, one, one iteration, right? You know, it takes time to build a robust product. But this is what we have. And here is how we're going to sort of focus on the positives and go out to tell people about it and how it addresses their problem. So yeah. it's about like this problem solving approach. Yeah. Oh, so true. And that ties perfectly into like an ideal product would be co-treating with all these other disciplines. But like, what do we do have? We do offer music therapy and like, that's what we can do for now, um, Yes, which is great in and of, in and of itself. Yeah. Oh, so cool. <laughs> Another thought I have is that, you know, I have heard from from other people like, oh, you know, it seems a little tiring that we have to advocate for our field mm-hmm. because it's a relatively new profession. But for me, you know, I just want to say that like, on the contrary, from the other side is that similar to being at a tech startup where, you know, it's new, I mean, a lot of things are growing. It's actually a really exciting time for us 
because yeah. there's so much potential and opportunities for us to help others understand how incredible music can be used. Yeah, yeah, I have a similar thought. There's, I don't know the numbers right now, but say there's like 8,000 music therapists in the United States. Does that sound like the accurate number now? Something like that. Something like that. And I remember, you know, I would be like, wow, there's 8,000 of us, like we're growing, but there's still so few. And then someone on social media was like, there's only 8,000 of us. We are very important. Like your time is so valuable because there's so few of us. And I was like, oh my gosh, you're right. You're right. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Oh, you wanted to talk about streamlining the process to increase efficiency. Yes, yes. Yeah, tell me about that. Good point. So, yeah. So personally, I I really like streamlining streamlining processes in personal and professional life, and I think mm-hmm. that it's it was essential for me as a product manager in my previous role because there's just always new requests, new feature, um, you know, complaints or requests. I guess requests. But people are like, oh, when can we get that done? When can we get this done? Or like, you cannot say yes to everything, right? Because you have yeah. to prioritize your time and resources and and all that. So streamlining like a process, you know, how you handle what's incoming, but what you can produce as well. And um, having a process in how you prioritize um, your to-do list, which is never ending, right? There's always new mm-hmm. things to add to our backlog. So I, I really thought that it was important for my work, but also in personal life because similar to work at home, there's always something to do. I have two small kids, age four and two. They're always asking for something and I'm, I'm happily married, but you know, like maintaining a good marriage also takes time, right? So there's just always something happening and having a process on how I handle you know, things that we need to get done around the house, cleaning, you know, mm-hmm. mundane daily things too. Um, it helps me to sort of feel like, okay, it's okay that we don't finish everything, but we know that this can go to backlog or we can schedule time to do the next thing. Yeah. So yeah, like I guess um, having processy um, sort of got me thinking about like, you know, what can, what can I do in music therapy to have processy for myself too? Um, you know, if it's collaboration with other disciplines, maybe it's just marking my calendar to make a point to check in, like write an email, make a call or write a note if it's, you know, within the same facility, but different departments. And, you know, maybe it's making sure that we can spend a little bit of time each year to participate in other disciplines, conferences, like yeah. joining music teacher association conferences, PT, OT, or SLP conferences. So that way we can talk about what we're doing and people um, can learn more about it. I just remember that I had joined one of the online workshops um, last year and an audiologist came in to present about the deaf culture. And mm-hmm. so she spoke about like hearing impairments and people who, um, who, 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 have, who have to use hearing aids or who are just um, deaf, but how they perceive sounds and music and that they still enjoy it, but they, you know, what they perceive is different. And she tied it into like the desire to work with music therapists so that they can help their patients more. And I thought that was awesome, right? Like as a music therapy student to hear from an audiologist on all these, you know, scientific, technical side that I don't know. I just thought that, wow, together we can learn better and do better. 
Yeah. Oh, so true. I I think I have referenced this before, so you may have heard this episode. Uh, I think it was the Instrumental Podcast, and they were talking about, typically, we are music therapists going to music therapy conferences to hear other music therapists talk about music therapy. Right. Which, like, you know, and we, we were saying, we have just said in this conversation, it'd be great to collaborate and, like, do all this stuff. And there's this whole untapped well of potential in attending other conferences that not many of us take advantage of. Uh, so it's so you're so right. Like there's so much information that we could have access to um, if we prioritize it, if we make it, imp- you know, so important in our in our processes. Like, OK, if I can only attend one conference this year, does it need to be a music therapy one? Maybe. Or should it be something else that's going to enrich my practice in a different way? Uh, yeah, it'd be nice to see more of us taking advantage of that as well. Yes. Any questions so far about what I spoke of? No, but I think it's awesome to hear how you have taken your experiences and kind of like, I'm going to say a corporate position. Yes. Yeah. To, to this, um, healing profession, if per se, you know, it's like, I personally don't get to talk with a lot of people who have lived in both worlds um so it's cool to see how they overlap and how they have both informed your experience i see yeah yeah i really believe that you know all the experiences in life um continue to add on to our Mm. tool set and no experiences is wasted even you know if different seasons are spending different things yeah well said Thank you. Well said. I like that. So how has being a mom and your chamber music experience, how have those also informed your practice so far? Oh, thank you so much for asking. So yeah, great question. I didn't mention this earlier, but when I first became a mom, I realized that it was very hard to go to attend any chamber music concerts or just classical music concerts in general, because Generally, they're in the evening, mm. around seven o'clock, right? And that's usually when you get ready for bad time, you send your kids to bed. So it's sort of that rush of the evening when you have small kids under mm. four years old and or maybe five or six. I, I don't know. But at least for me, you know, at the time I had babies. So it was very difficult for me. I just didn't go to like classical concerts for a while. I couldn't really have rehearsals. I felt like I was just sort of in this newborn haze where yeah. I was taking care of my child like 24-7. And then, um, but once she turned one year old, I, I just decided that like it's time for me to try to like make some music and, you know, like with people outside the house because I would play music with her on a daily basis. I sung to her, I play piano and we're just singing acapella, but you know, she enjoyed it. And I just saw it firsthandly that, as a newborn, she would respond to music. And I think music therapists knew this, right? Like mm. people resonate with music, they respond to it. And it was just very incredible to see it from my own child at the time. So once she turned one, I felt like, okay, we have a pretty good routine and rhythm down. Um, I started re- inviting my cellist friend to come over to read through some chamber music. And I decided to fo- found a chamber music concert series designed for families at the time. I wanted to be able to like play shorter pieces and just, you know, condense it to like 30 to 40 minutes each time. 
and during the daytime. So that way, like、mm. other moms who have small children can feel free to show up too. And I didn't want it to be like a very formal, like you know, rows of chairs. Everybody's looking on the stage.、Um, so I I kind of designed it to be in a large room where the chairs are kind of set up to be in a semicircle around the instruments. Yeah. And then there's space too if people want to like put down a blanket and put their like baby on the floor to listen to music, and、um, there would be like an intermission where they can come up to look at the instruments too and ask questions. So that was sort of like the series that I led with my cellist friend,、um, and then following year like another cellist friend, and we would just play duets. And you know, surprisingly, at the time I just thought, oh, maybe only like my friends would show up. And that's okay, but at least I was playing music again and was collaborating with this other cellist, who is also a music teacher. But then, like people I didn't know showed up too, and it, that was like so humbling in a way, right? Because I was putting myself out there, didn't know I was doing this as a passion project. So people came up to to me, just like, oh my god, this this is so nice, like to be able to enjoy music with my baby, like not having to like hire a babysitter and then try to go to a classical、yeah. concert. And they felt really great about like introducing music to their children too. So that was just like a really nice community we were able to form. Yeah. Oh, that's so beautiful. I'm just picturing like, because that is all. It's like the the performance music therapy bridge almost. Like you've created this environment that's very accessible and welcoming, but it like you were still able to do that performing aspect, right? That that's so cool. More people need to be doing that. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, to make to make music more accessible. I'm thinking about like I've never been a huge performer, but I'm thinking about even my my college performances and recitals I had to do, and I I also hated the rows of chairs and the people and like the sitting. And、uh, my family wasn't very educated in we'll say concert etiquette, so they didn't know when to clap and when not to clap. And This other side of me, you probably know from the show, but I also did the marching arts, which is the opposite. Like you clap and scream when things are good, and like,、right. and I always wanted to to have more of that. I wanted the audience to be engaged, while still not quite being music therapy. I wanted to do my performances and get those things done, but I I wish I had thought to be like, this is my thing and I'm in charge and I can make it a semicircle and let people sit in a blanket on the floor if I want to. <laughs> Yeah, and、oh. I def I remember I had to、uh, prep my my friend my my chamber music partner like hey you know kids might make music and yeah like, might make noises but that's okay and that's expected and we just knew that like let's just have fun like、mm-hmm. we're not gonna worry about it if we you know got distracted and miss one note that's okay like it's just, let's just be able to enjoy that together and、yeah. I remember I mean yeah some babies cried and then the mom like you know step out to the back of the room to like rock them or. You know, hold them, and that was okay too. I just wanted to be able to like do play the music and connect with people as well too. So that was, I'm very grateful for that opportunity. Yeah. Oh, and how nice for the families to know that like they are welcome in that space to show up as they are. You know, with their kids and being like, "Hey, this is a safe space. That if crying happens, if noises happen, like it's okay. I'll take care of it." But. How many times have we been at a concert where there's a kid crying and the parents like shh and they're running out of the room? Right, it's stressful for everybody. Correct. Oh, I'm so in love with that, and it's like it's like you're you knew deep down that music therapy was where you were headed. You just didn't know that that was the destination yet. I think so. So cool. So cool. 
So where do you want to go from here? Yeah. Um, so right now I'm, I'm working as a practicum student at a children's hospital in Dallas and I absolutely love it. And I think before I went into, I went back to school to study music therapy, I had in my mind that I was very interested in working with children in the medical setting. Mm. And I just, I, you know, people told me to keep open mind and, you know, because we could change our minds and that's okay. And especially during the practica time, that's when we explore different populations. So I definitely didn't want to like rule out the potentials of other populations that I could be interested in. But through my practica experiences so far, like I just keep on like going back to children and infants in, in the hospital or NICU settings. And I'm very interested in serving that population just because I felt like I really have a heart for them. Just like, you know, nobody wants to be in the hospital. No one wants to stay overnight or even for a longer duration. And so being able to love on them and use music to help them during that time, you know, just something that's really big on my heart. Um, but I would say, though, like I had experience working with children with autism and um, what they call special needs. And I know that term terminology is debatable these days, but I actually absolutely loved it, too. I, I connected with the children um, through music and I work with one child who who was legally blind but mm. he was able to like play guitar and sing and play the piano which I thought was incredible so um so yeah so I would say that these two populations are sort of something that's dear to my heart and in, ter- in my internship I'll be at the children's hospital as well too so that'll sort of give me a even wider spectrum of the cases and you know the diagnoses yeah Oh, so cool. I do you think being a mom and then doing this chamber series um, solidified your desire to work with kids? Yes, I think yeah. so. Yes, I feel like like seeing that in my my kids, like the responses of music in my kids, and then going out to work with other kids, I, I see, you know, the excitement, you know, how their eyes really like light up when yeah. something connects with them. I, I can just really like resonate with them. I don't mind sitting on the floor to play with them and be silly, you know, make funny faces. And I know it's a little bit harder with a the mask these days, but, um, mm. you know, just have to like exaggerate a little bit more. But, you know, just thinking about how even in the hospital when I had my first child and I had a relatively, um, I would say a normal like labor and birth for my child, but I would say that like it was still a really vulnerable space, like for moms and dads, right? The the families, and so it's hard for me to even imagine like how much harder it is for families who had to deal with chronic illnesses or complications, mm-hmm. right? It's a very stressful time. So, I I can relate to the type of stress that I experienced when I was in the hospital, but I know that's probably even more and amplified for those who have to deal with illnesses. So I want to be able to serve them that way and connect with them, knowing that like, I'm a mom too. And I can understand that, like, you know, the worries and stress they have when their children's um, in the hospital. Yeah. Oh, I, one of my favorite things about doing this show is hearing about people's passions. And so I can, when you speak about it, I can tell that like, your heart is really called to do that. 
Thank you. And I'm, I'm happy for you that you are like on this journey of music therapy and like you, you feel so strongly about it because you have all this life experience that has informed it. You're, you know, not that there's anything wrong with graduating at 23 and figuring it out, but that's what most of us do. Um, and you kind of have all this other information behind you to say like, I kind of know where I want to be. Now I'm just picking up the tools and the certification to get there. Yeah. Thank you. Awesome. So you're also working on a, uh, an adaptive lesson curriculum, I'll say, correct me. Yeah. I mean, right now it's just kind of like a side project. Um, you know, thank you for calling it curriculum for me. I was just thinking more (laughs) like materials and resources, but yeah, thank you for asking. So when I was working as a student at the private practice, I offer some adaptive lessons in piano for some children who came in for therapy, but they're interested in learning the piano as well. So my supervisor and I would split the time, you know, it's a 30 minute session. So 15 minutes Mm -hmm. in the therapeutic part of it. And then the 15 minutes in therapeutic part and the 15 minutes in the adaptive lesson. And they call it adaptive lessons because like, it depends on the child's needs and preferences. We would, you know, tailor that lesson, especially for, um, especially for the child. So it's not necessarily using the traditional method books that mm-hmm. other teachers might use. Like, I mean, I can think of some names, but anyways, I, I won't name them right now. But uh, and nothing's wrong with the traditional method books, but it's just more like sometimes they may not work as well. So one thing that we have used, which I don't think is a surprise to any music therapist here, is to use color codes um, on, the, on the keyboard or piano, right? Like you can use dry erase markers to color code just, you know, a short range of notes and then you can have sheet music or a, a slide um, that indicates the colors. Um, so that way they can kind of, you can point to it and sing and while like instructing them to play on the keys. So mm-hmm. all these sensory inputs can work wonders for a child who might have additional sensory like needs too, right? So that's something that got me thinking because like I was preparing all these slides to prepare for the adaptive lessons then. And then sort of just sat in my Google Drive for a while but then I got a chance to work with a patient in the hospital this semester, and it was an adaptive lesson because the patient asked for it. So it was like, perfect. I, I get to teach again and in a hospital setting in the bed, and you know, it's, I'm right next to the you know, hospital bed. How can I make this work? And I was just thinking about like, hey, these adaptive lesson materials that I had created don't have to go to waste again you know like things can continue to build up and in teaching children piano in general like outside of music therapy world um just as a general teaching path i i found that like you know not the same material will always work with different kids right like people have different learning styles Mm -hmm. and it's okay to explore different materials and um adapt that for specific like one individual too so I feel like all kids can benefit from individualized and tailored lesson plans so that just kind of like got my got the wheels turning in my head that I want to continue building like materials and resources that I can kind of put together and provide that as a resource to you know either parents who are who have their kids in the hospital and they're discharged to go home, right? They're mm-hmm. not going to have these continued music therapy sessions, but maybe the child would be interested in, you know, exploring and playing the music at home. So a simple like booklet that they can um, bring home could be useful. Or maybe it's 
it's families, maybe they go to private practice and they want to be able to do it at home to integrate that session with a music therapist versus at home, they can. Mm-hmm. And then just other things, like maybe other music teachers are looking for something like that so they can like utilize it for to see if like it fits the needs of their students better. And one thing that, you know, it got me thinking is also that like I'm bilingual in Mandarin and English. So like I don't really see a lot of Chinese materials at this point and you know for children growing up in the U.S. I think most of them all speak English right but then there will be some families who are bilingual and maybe the parents prefer uh, Mandarin or Chinese more than English too so and you know I've been thinking about building bilingual or Chinese like versions of those adaptive lessons so that way it's accessible to those Mandarin speaking families too. Yeah. I I love that so much because obviously there's a need and you both have the skill set to fill it and the ambition to do it. Because how often do we see a problem and are just like, oh, it'd be cool if, but to take the time to actually go about doing it. So you, you have, you're bilingual yourself, but I was also thinking about how your classical training on the piano puts you in such a great position compared to someone like me who just learned piano in college to get my degree, you know, like uh, your ability to teach the instrument and to adapt it is leaps and bounds ahead of anything I could do. And then you add on top of it, your ability to make it a bilingual material for people. And that's, it's so, it's so awesome. I don't know. I don't really have other words to just say that I, commend you for doing it and I can't wait to see what it becomes and how many people you're able to reach and make piano playing accessible for thank you so much that means a lot yeah it's true I there I am grateful that we live in this digital age where more people are able to find solutions to problems that they see just like this where instead of just saying oh it'd be nice if or I wish someone would like you can create that thing. You can yes. do it. <laughs> yes, we definitely have a lot more tools, you know, yes. with the digital age, um, different programs to produce things. Totally, totally. Yeah. Well, is there anything else you want to share before we move into the rapid fire? We've covered a lot. Yeah, we sort of went from the whole spectrum, right? So, um, yeah, I think nothing else. We, I'm, I'm ready for the rapid fire questions. Cool you know what to expect. So hopefully they're not too intimidating. (laughs) (laughs) We'll see. All right. The first one is coffee or tea? I love this question. I just want to say, so I drink both, but I am definitely a tea person. Mm. I grew up in Taiwan and it's known for the high mountain tea, like, you know, loose leaf tea. They, I think what's famous is like oolong tea, for example. Mm -hmm. So I just, you know, grow up drinking tea with my grandma my parents or in family or friends like gatherings so I love it and also like I think I enjoy milk tea a lot too like it's also known as like bubble tea right like in some shops so for me I really enjoy like going to a tea house where it's very zen you know it's very peaceful and calming and be able to sort of enjoy just like a cup of tea but I would say that I do have my daily cup of coffee first thing in the morning especially and you know to start it after I had my kids so yeah so I I appreciate both I I just remember like 
one thing I would do back in the tech world is that I would take coffee or tea break with like a colleague as a chance to catch up outside of like the work setting. So we would walk. Um, we, at the time, I worked in downtown San Francisco, so there was you know very easy to walk to like different shops. So depending on like the colleague's preference, you know either coffee or tea would be fine with me. So that's something I enjoy. That's awesome. I'm glad it is um, a social thing for you. Yeah, I think that's beautiful. Awesome. Are you an early bird or a night owl? <sighs> I am a night owl for sure. I just you know used to find all the time at night to like read to look into like photography you know process my own photos you know do these creative projects write or you know like listen to music but because I became a mom four years ago and I signed myself up for a early bird child who has a very strict internal clock like she's up at 6 40 a.m every morning and I have taught her to Please wait until seven o'clock to wake me up. That's just my <laughs> alarm clock now. So um, I guess I'm more of an early bird than I used to be. Yeah. Well, being a chamber musician definitely plays into the night owlness. Yes. For sure. Yeah. Something you tell your younger self. This question was something I was thinking about. So I think I would tell my younger self to to not let the external commentaries bother you too much. I, I know a lot of us probably know that theoretically, but in reality, if there are naysayers, it's sometimes hard to block it out, right? Like, mm-hmm. But I think that still holds true for me. Like, If I was telling my younger self, like, just don't let that, if that's not adding value, the naysayer, there will always be some naysayers, right? So if it's not adding value to discern or reevaluate something that you're doing, just let it go. So that's yeah. what I would tell her. Yeah. I feel like um, the younger versions of ourselves often need to hear that. The older we get, the less it bothers us Yes, in an ideal world. But yeah, that's a good one. Definitely. Your music therapy elevator speech. Yeah. I, I know this has been said in other episodes. Okay. I usually say, you know, using music to address non-musical goals. Then, you know, people, eyes usually like light up like, oh, you really? And then that's when I go on, like, you know, communication, you know, like social, motor, and emotional. All these things, um, skills can be addressed and increased um, through music. And then I'll pull up examples, like depending on who the person I'm talking to, if they have children or maybe they have they don't have children, then then I, I might focus more on like examples of the adult or elderly adult populations. If they have kids, then I might, you know, use examples of children like in the private practice or in the hospital and use those as examples to explain more. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Your favorite self-care practice. I really enjoy being in the outdoors. And I would say that growing up, I was not an athletic kid, but as I grew and just take hikes with my Mm. husband and being able to like immerse myself in the nature, I just find myself very rejuvenated from it. So I enjoy making the time to, you know, take hikes and sort of like gives me the perspective, like 
to enjoy something a little greater than me, and it's okay. You know, the the problem starts in on my mind. I can let go for now, and I can go home to face it afterward. Yeah, I like that. Something that's currently adding value to your life. Yeah, I think this week, and I think in, I can that's that's applicable to general too. Is reading books through audiobooks. I I find yeah. that to be a much more efficient way for me to like get through the books.、Mm-hmm. And so I'm currently reading this book called "Raising Your Spirited Child."、Yeah. I think it's very helpful for me as a parent, and also it addresses actually、um, traits of a spirited child that I think music therapists can probably benefit from too, because we might work with a spirited child too, right? So. Yeah, I listen to the audio book while I'm doing like laundry, doing dishes, and I know when I'm showering, you know. So it's very、uh, easy to get through chapters that way. Yeah, yeah. As、um, most of the people listening to this are listening to it on audio. Yes, <laughs> audio books are probably more accessible for them too. Yes,、uh, I can relate to that for sure. Yeah. Your favorite intervention or song to use in a session? Sure. There's one intervention and song that I've used in sessions that I really enjoy. So, it's a compositional method. So we write songs together. So this can be adapted in different ways. But the song that I do use is "Be Okay," and I would have some sort of visual, but then filling blanks. You know, the song is like, "I just want to be okay, be okay, right?" So we would substitute the word "okay," and then I would, you know, ask the The client to substitute, you know, fill in the word of their own choice. If their, if choice make, if they cannot come up to like come out with like words to fill in, then sometimes I have some choices for them to make. Like, do you want to be happy or do you want to be brave?、Mm-hmm. And so they can choose it. And then I think the next verse is like, I just want to、um, feel okay, right? So it's a verb. So I would suggest again, they can make a, you know, they come out with a word, or I. Can provide some choices for them to make to choose a verb to substitute feel. So I just wanna, I just wanna dance today. Maybe, maybe not even like verb feel okay. It's like the whole thing can be substitute. So I just wanna dance today. I just wanna play today, right? So,、um, and I think in the chorus at the end, it's like、um, give me back my own,、uh, give me my. I think give me back my broken part, heart or parts.、Mm. Um, I might have said that wrong, but、um, I remember I would just substitute that to like give me back my own, and then blank. They can decide something they want to take back control of. Yeah. So、um, it's it's gone really well, you know, from clients age like a teenager to like even a toddler, like preschool age child. I think it really helps with self expression and be able to like say, "Hey, like I made a song, and this reflects myself." Yeah. Oh, and there's a lot you touched on in that, which is is super cool.、Um, and I can see that song being very good for、um, adapting and extending. So, like, usable across many different communities, depending on their needs and what your goals are.、Uh, yeah. 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 I like that a lot. I'm putting that in my memory bank. Thank you.、Sure. <laughs> awesome. The last question is: Where can the listeners find you and connect with you? They can find me on Instagram. My username is Music and Tales, and my website is IsabelleEngler dot com. So those two channels. Cool. 
I will have that linked in the show notes so everyone can find you. Because uh, obviously you're moving and shaking in the music therapy world and creating awesome things. So, oh, thank you so much. Yeah, so I'm excited. Oh, it's the truth. It's the truth. You, you've gotten me fired up to be like, hey, that problem that I have seen, it's time for me to create the solution. <laughs> oh, thanks. <laughs> I'm glad. Of course. Thank you. Thank you for sharing with the listeners today and making the time to be on the show and creating these um, these connections for us between different these different worlds in which you have lived. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's absolutely an honor to be here. Thank you so much for tuning into the show this week. I hope you enjoyed this conversation and gained some insight from it. I definitely enjoyed hearing Isabel's perspective and just having a very casual conversation about all these different areas of our life that really inform our practice perhaps more than we even realize and kind of having those hindsight moments where you're like, oh, I did this thing and this is how it related to this thing and that's why it led me to where I am now. this whole year, I've kind of felt like that with with this podcast in starting the Music Therapy Podcast Collective with Kate. Again, you can check out all our pod course offerings over there. And then later on this year, opening up the self-care community to connect with you all more and provide community-based support um, in our self-care, being self-care partners. Uh And the doors to that may be opening again soon. So stay tuned, hop on our newsletter at musictherapychronicles.com so you don't miss out on that. And also follow us on social media at Music Therapy Chronicles so you can stay up to date on everything that's going on. If you're enjoying the show, please let us know by leaving a rating and review. And if you or someone you know is interested in being on the show, please let me know by sending an email to hello at musictherapychronicles.com. Our quote this week is from Oliver Sacks. Our auditory systems, our nervous systems, are tuned for music. Perhaps we are a musical species no less than a linguistic one. Mm